three of a series that I'm enjoying. Somebody asked me first service, they said, are you liking this series? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm learning a lot. And I hope you are too. I hope you're challenged with it. I want you to come. And when you do come, I want you to go away thought provoked. I want you to think about it. Uh, I'm trying not to sugarcoat it. I'm trying to dig it out deep. And so today, if you are visiting, it may feel a little more in depth than a normal just sermon, but I, I think it'll help us and we'll go there. The questions that have been asked to me are what is it like in the days of Noah? And this has been our text scripture, Matthew 24, 37. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. And this is what we launched out with first week, that typically when you think about the days of Noah, you think about all the evil, the blood moons, the aliens, the sexual revolution, the wars, the everything that's taking place. Our mind just kind of goes to how evil the world is. But what we've said is there, there's no worse evil than Adam eating the fruit. If you think 2023 is worse than Adam eating the fruit, we've been sorely deceived. There was no greater sin of humanity than for the first human to bite that piece of fruit. And what we see today that is so wickedly terrible is only the outworking of the greatest sin that was ever committed. And we're reaping that tragedy. But what I've attempted to do uh, teaching this for the first time publicly is I'm attempting to come at it from the back door. So rather than looking at the days of Noah from the front door, which is all the evil and, and how much evil, you know, and we kind of go, Jesus has to come back because this is so, so evil. I've been trying to come around the back door to prompt your thinking that what if the days of Noah is not about evil, but because it's about the return of the Son of Man, that it would be much more about righteous. What's going on with the righteous people when Jesus returns? We've always had evil. We will continue to have have evil and evil will always feel more evil alert. More, more evil. I, was, I had in my brain eviler and that didn't sound good. More evil. It'll be more evil, but really every generation is wicked. So what if we start looking at it from what's going to be going on with you and me? What's going to be happening to those that claim to be God's people? What if when Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, he wasn't just thinking about wickedness, but he was thinking about what happened to all the righteous people that allowed such wickedness to take place. Because accordingly to scripture, if you have righteous people that are ruling, the city rejoices. But when the righteous people become quiet, the city becomes wicked. So this is kind of my graphic now. Maybe we need to look at it as what's going on in this beautiful thing we call religion. What's going on in the Christian world? What's going on with the people that profess Jesus Christ? What is going on in all the denominations that we have? The question I would ask you that I think is fair today, I googled how many churches are in my neighborhood. 33 churches popped up right here. That's from I-20 this way toward Chapel Hill Road and I-20 kind of a little toward Hiram. 33 churches popped up. There's enough churches. There's a First Baptist, a First Methodist, a Second Baptist. There's Kojic Church of God in Christ. There's the Church of Holiness. There's the Apostolic Church. There's the Presbyterian Church, the Episcopal Church, the Catholic Church, the Pentecostal Church, the Oneness Church, the Unitarian Church. There's enough churches out there that we could keep you happy forever. If you don't like one, cherry pick and go to another. 
They're everywhere. But the question I would ask if there are so many, as a matter of fact, there's so many churches, it's like family dollar. The only body out doing us is family dollar. <laughs> I, I dare not text how many family dollars are near me. And the reason you have dollar general and family dollar is family dollar was the original and then they got mad at family dollar and started dollar general. It's the same. It's just like church, right? But the question to bid would be, if there's so many churches and we say we are who we are and what we believe, then why isn't our city living in righteousness right now? What's happened to the righteous people? What's happened to those that claim prayer and that coming to church is meaningful and Jesus died. What happened to all us? Let's don't even think about sinners. Let's just talk us and let's talk 2981 Beaumont Road. And I'm talking to myself. So today is a message for me too, because I shepherd the house. And so I talk to myself and the message that I want to give to you. What's happened to us? What's happened that people are having to deconstruct? What's happening that it seems wickedness is escalating while Christians seem to be on the decrease? What's happened since we found this nation 200 years ago and Benjamin Bush made the statement of um, that he wanted the Bible in every school because it was the best curriculum to educate people? What's happened in 200 years? That we went from a nation that said under God, one nation under God, God was very much in the founding. The Ten Commandments were in every edifice of the United States years ago. And now just recently a new statistic has come out in a research poll that America is now a post-Christian nation. We're no longer considered a Christian nation. We are a post-Christian nation. Somewhere in the 200 years of starting with, we want God, here we sit today with, we just want our rights and we want our sexuality and we want our genders and somewhere in the mix. So you see real quickly within 200 years, an entire nation can be brought to darkness. The same is true with the church. We start out really well, but 2,000 years later, maybe what we think we are, we no longer are, and we have to ask the harder questions. I want to ask you that question today. Here's what we've said. Noah lived to be 950 years old. When we talk about the days of Noah, we're talking about his birth to his death. That includes the flood, which is really what Jesus is talking about. And here's what we've done the last two weeks. First week, we said that what happened to righteous men is they became indifferent men. You can watch that whole series. Then the next week, we said righteous men played games rather than preach the gospel. And this week, we're going to take it one step deeper. I pray it challenges you and opens your eyes to maybe what's going on right now in our backyard and right now in the hearts of people that claim to be Christian. To understand my thinking of why I chose to come around the back door rather than the front door of evil is, is the line here, and I call it the righteous seed. I don't mean righteous that they are not potentially bad people or good people. I don't mean righteous in that way, like they've never done anything wrong because Adam blew it from the beginning. But righteous seed in that Genesis 5 gives all the names from Adam to Noah. And this line of men who were in the line of Noah, if we took past the TV 4,000 maybe years, 3,000 more years, we come to Jesus. 
So this is the beginning of Jesus' genealogy. The reason we call it righteous is it goes all the way back to Adam. And in this, in the gospels, it will bring, pick up this line of reasoning all the way to Jesus. So once we go past Noah, we go all the way to Jesus. Therefore, that's why I call it the righteous seed. So perhaps when Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be when the son of man returns, perhaps in his thinking, he's not thinking all of the evil because all of the evil has been here from this moment. But perhaps what he's thinking is what happened to righteous people who once knew God that could be in such a place that there would be no influence of righteousness anymore. So pitiful that this would be that only eight people would be saved out of the entire world. We'll talk about that a little more in the weeks ahead. So what I want to attempt to do today is I want to attempt to take Adam and Enoch and I want to try to attempt to teach you what I think is happening so that by the time we get to this days of Noah, we can have some understanding of maybe what happened to this group of fellas. It's a thousand year period of time, but something began to slowly between each generation ebb away. Now, the reason I picked Enoch to Adam is Adam is the first man and Enoch, if, you, if you're a student of the Bible, Anytime you read something that jumps out as different, you should stop and pause and go, let me think about this a little more. In Genesis 5, what you get is Adam died, uh, Seth died, Enosh died, Kenan died, Mahaliel died, Jared died, Enoch didn't die. And the moment you read in Genesis 5 that Enoch didn't die, you should put the brakes on and go, that's different. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That, that, that breaks the pattern. That breaks the familiarity. And maybe what God is going to teach me from this man to this man is there was a familiarity that was happening that God had to step in and break it. And I think today in the religious world, we're so familiar with religion that God is going to have to step in one more time to shake things up and go, I'm about to do it different than I've ever done it before. It wakes us up. This moment that said Enoch was 365 years old and then God took him. He did not die. And when I read that years ago, it, it made me stop and, and meditate. Why such the difference of a man? Why does this guy get the only pleasure that no one else has ever enjoyed? No one else is really at this point has ever enjoyed this moment. The only other human to ever enjoy it will be Elijah as he's taken away without dying. But right here is the only human that never tasted death. It seems so unfair. It seems unreasonable. He got off the hook. So uh, it took me on a journey to figure it out. And what I would like to talk to you today is what happened between Adam and Enoch with all the righteous people that would cause God to stamp I'm done with these people. So much so that God says, I wish I would have never made them. And that is a sad case to be. So I'm going to attempt to start at Adam and pull it down for you. So I'm going to give you just a little history and then we'll jump in because we're going to jump in midstream and I want to set the stage. If you don't know the story, perhaps you do. 
Adam was created by God, given Eve, and accordingly they had a lot of sons and daughters. We'll talk about that later. They had multiple sons and daughters, but the three that we, we, we are given in the scripture are Cain and Abel and Seth. Cain was the firstborn. Cain kills the secondborn, murders him, and we pick up the story there. So we're going we're gonna to kind of go into the stories of what happened. And all of this began to transpire because Adam and Eve, before they ever had children, had this heritage with God. Now here's their heritage. Their heritage is God created the world. Then God created a garden in a land that was called Eden. Uh, the reason it's called the Garden of Eden is it was a, a place called Eden and then God planted a garden and then God put Adam in that garden. We don't really know the dimensions of it, but the story is he gets put in the garden. God says, everything's already here for you. I've already provided everything. Every tree is yours for fruit. You enjoy it. You guys do whatever you want. Just that tree right there, don't eat that. Everything else in this garden, man, have at it. Just hoop, hoop, hooray, and enjoy your time on earth here. And accordingly, this was how God started it out. Don't eat that tree. Every other tree is permissible for you to eat. We pick up the story with a problem. The problem is that Adam and Eve ate the fruit, which I presented to you was the greatest sin ever. And in that moment of eating it, after they ate it, God shows up. And this is critical. If you casually read it, it's, it's easy to pass by. But if you pause and think it through, it becomes interesting. And they, Adam and Eve, verse 8 of Genesis 3, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. So initially, right off the bat, what we can intimate is God who created the earth, strange as it may seem, would leave the eternal heavenly realm, come to the earthly realm, and chit-chat with Adam and Eve. He would come down in the cool of the day and walk with them and talk with them. What we get out of this is God, He can be heard, God can be seen. It's strange that it said they saw, they heard the sound of him walking. So I guess when he said, I'm going to create humans in my image, that God has an image, something like this. I know we kind of think God like this light up in the sky and this ether of a mist. Kind of like, I am the Lord our God, you know. But what we have here seemingly is a creative father who sees Adam as so important that he would leave the eternal realm. And come to the created realm to talk and fellowship with his creation. And so he comes down, they've sinned, and God, they heard him walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So what we can deduce about this, though we weren't there, but from a reading, is that it seemingly was very normal for the presence of God to leave heaven or wherever that was and come down to earth that he had created and his literal presence would arrive on the scene and go, I don't know, let's have a cup of coffee. I don't know what they talked about, but I do deduce that it was, it was commonplace for Adam because when he heard him, he went to hide because he had disobeyed him. Now what I want to talk about are these three words at the bottom. 
Because this becomes very critical to, and I know right here it doesn't feel critical, but fast forward a thousand years, this is going to become critical. Because you have Adam who's been created in the image of God, hiding from God, and what he's hiding from is the presence of the Lord. But where he's hiding is in the middle of the garden among all of the other trees where God had thumbed up, these are okay. So he disobeys and eats that tree and in his mind thinks, well, what I can do is I can run in all these other trees and I can just sit on the third row there and blend right in with everybody because all this is permissible. I'll just sit with all these trees and I'll just hang out in the very thing that God's already thumbed up and I'll just sit here in all the permissible things even though what I'm really doing is hiding from his presence. And as I try to parse that out to, to what's going on, I come up with this thought that Adam had become content with the permissible things of God while hiding from the presence of God. And then it makes me start thinking maybe what's happening is there is becoming such a familiarity with how life is that they're drifting away from the presence of God. And then that makes me come to 2023 and ask, I wonder how much of us as confessing Christians do the permissible things. Uh, you know, we, we go to church, we read our Bibles, we do devotions, we have groups, we serve on a team. We do all the permissible things of God, but I don't really cater to the presence of God. I don't live like he lives in me. I don't live like he's aware that he communes with me and talks with me and walks with me. I just live religious among the permissible things. I carry my Bible. I give my money. I get my name on a roll somewhere. I listen to Christian music. I do all the good things. I do smoke, but not a lot. And I don't do it around the preacher. I mean, I'm a good person. I do good things. I, I do like a little Jason Aldean, small town kind of things good. But otherwise, I just, I, I'm a good person. All the permissible things. Well, does God care that I listen to rock and roll? Does he care if I have a beer? Does he care if I smoke? Does he care whether I go to church? Does he care what movies I watch? Does he, like I'm all about the, the, the permissible, what will God allow me to do before I go to hell? But I don't hear much talking about when was the last time his presence showed up in your home, in your car, at your workplace, in the moment when you were alone and you had an opportunity for your mind to be perverted, but you knew that the presence of God was there all the time. So the very first man set the stage for how we would live if we weren't careful. We would live with what can we get away with without being judged by God while we don't even care to know is his presence here. Like we can do all the right things today. Everything can go perfectly from the production booth. We can hit every, every note, every singer. We can get in on time and get out on time just like we planned. Run out the door, great sermon, tweet it, share an Instagram photo, talk a little bit at church about how good it was or bad it was. But at the end of the day, was the presence of God even here? Because it's a sad place to be to go, great sermon preacher, and you hear God go, dude, I don't even know what he said. I wasn't there. They pushed me out a long time ago. 
They were content to do their religion, but they pushed me out. They were in a hurry. They had other things they had to do. Other things in life took priority. Oh, good things. Good things took priority. Let's don't talk about sinful things. Good things took priority over the presence of God. It's the very first man. It's not like something we struggle with today. It's been the struggle from the beginning. But it gets really interesting. Because it's not just Adam. We pick up his son Cain on the heels of a murder. He kills his brother. And it says in verse 14 of Genesis 4, today, this is Cain to God, you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. Like even the first son knew that mom and dad knew the presence of God. The first kid born knew that the presence of God is just right there. I know mom and dad got kicked out, but his presence is right there in that garden. That's where we remember him talking to us. That's where we remember him walking and God shows up and banishes him. And he said, I'm going to be a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Verse 16, and Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Well, that sounds sad. Like, oh my gosh, that's man number two, away from God's presence. Oh, but don't fear. His life is a good life. Because he's driven away into the land of Nod. I like that. It's kind of like God like, yeah, just go ahead and go. It's okay. Can I go? Yeah, go. Can I do me? Oh, yeah, you do you. Go ahead. When I get there, it'll be, yeah, it'll just be a nod. I'm just nodding you. Because you're going to do what you do anyway, so go ahead and do it. And he drives him east of Eden, which is critical because Eden was the place where God would come down and walk with them. Eden was the place where his presence would, from heaven would come to earth and commune with daddy. And now this is the son, and now the son is being pushed further east away from the presence of the Lord. But don't let it bother you, because as soon as he's pushed away, verse 17, he makes love to his wife. Come on, praise God. I don't care about God. I got good sex tonight. Slept with my wife tonight. Praise the Lord. He made love to his wife and she became pregnant. They're starting a family. You don't need God to have a good sex life. You don't need God to have a family. You can have a family without God. You can have an incredible intimate life as a husband and wife without God. And then Cain was then building a city. You can be prosperous without God. He's building a city. It's such a powerful city. He names it after his kid. He's got a legacy. When is the last time your daddy built a city and named it after you? So let's not think that poor old Cain is just some lost soul. Cain is making love to his wife, having children, building cities, and leaving a legacy, and he's doggone become successful as a human. And several generations later, his brother's name was Jubal. This is one of his descendants. He was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Dude, Cain was the first line that had his first playlist. I got all the music is in my line, man. I got everything I need. I've got houses. I've got love. I've got family. I've got a business. I've got a legacy. And dude, we're going to burst some great music out of our line. And yet with all of that, 
He's Cain has love, family, prosperous in music, but he's wandered from God's presence. Now it begins to bear great witness to my soul because this is every Christian, if not careful. Well, I love Jesus. I just, man, it's just all about my family. What we do as a family, we go everywhere as a family. Life is all about family. It's about prosperity and legacy and my kids getting to college and everything working for us. And we've got a job and we have businesses. We have money in the bank. We have homes. We have fun. Oh my God, and the music. We, we just listen to our favorite playlists everywhere we go. Everything is working. And yes, 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 and yes. You can have all of that without God, but he had wandered from God's presence. So what's happening is life is moving rapidly forward toward destruction and everybody's good with it, but they just wandered from his presence. And here we sit in 2023 that I would even think of the 33 churches we Googled, mine included. Are we so good at religion that we wouldn't even know if God did or did not show up? And somebody told me going out the door first service, they said, we've been going around looking for a church that would just make space for God. And everywhere we go, we were just told we were brought in by the elders of the church. And the pastor's wife said, we do not allow the Holy Spirit gifts to work. We're not that kind of church here. So I understand. I understand that we've got everything we need as church people, we've got smoke machines and thousand and million dollar production and sound and environments and cafes and the best musicians and Twitters and Instagrams and, and our stories will blow your mind as you get home Sunday and look at the beautiful stories that we posted on Instagram and we talk and we retweet the sermon and we retweet the message and we share the Instagram story. We all go home and at the end of the day we have more than any generation has ever had except the presence of God because if we all had the presence of God I don't think our nation would be going where it's going we have a church on every corner we just wandered from his presence we have a church everywhere but we don't really care if the God's presence shows up because I got to get the next group in here and we got to get them out of the parking lot and another group in we got to brand you get your money give you a t-shirt and do a lot of good stuff but you can do a lot of good stuff without God. You can feed the homeless. You don't need God. You need Red Cross. You can clothe the unclothed. Go to Goodwill. You can serve over here at the Warehouse of Hope. You can go to downtown and, and, and serve in a homeless shelter. You don't need God to do all of that. So what the church has become is nothing more than a 501c3 business that loses the presence of God. I don't have time for it. He's going to mess me up. I got to get my message in. Now, I'm not against any of that because I'm talking 2023. This is going on from the start. The lie that says all we need to do is love each other. Okay, love each other, but yet the church is more perverted today than we've ever been. And we're all about love, love, love. Yeah, love, of course. But you can love everybody and still be perverted because you don't know his presence. 
Well, it's about family, 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 family. Yeah, you can take your kid to every sporting. I can take Stella to every cheer, every gym, everything, and sit there as a good father eating Reese cups, cheering her own. And at the end of the day, she's never touched the presence of God. Oh, I'm a good daddy. I'm a good, good father. They wrote a song about that. But do my daughters know his presence? That's what I have to do is a legacy. I can pay their bills. I can help get them into college. They can live in my basement while they do it. I'll help them buy a car. I'll help them find jobs. I'll work myself to provide for them because I want them to have a good life. But at the end of daddy giving them a good life and I die and they all parse out my guitars to somebody, do they know God's presence? Because that's the legacy we have to leave. But, but before we even get to man number two, the legacy's not being left behind. They're leaving legacies of cities. They're leaving legacies of music. They're leaving legacies of family. But the presence of God is way back there in Egypt and nobody seemingly cares. Well, it gets more interesting. Because in the middle of no presence, sex still shows up. I mean, when you're tense without the presence of God, next best thing. So Adam has sex with his wife again. And she gave birth to another son and she named him Seth. Now here is where it starts changing. She named him Seth for she said, God granted me another son in place of Abel whom Cain killed. Now, so we know what's going on. The moment Seth is born, we're 130 years past Adam. Adam was born 130 years later. So somewhere between day one and 130, there's Cain, there's Abel dead. And at 130 years old, Adam birthed Seth. Seth is birthed with, hey, God's given me another chance. This boy has a purpose. And 105 years later, so we're 235 years past Adam, Seth grows up and had a son and named his son Enosh. So Seth, Adam is 130 when Seth is born. And when Enosh is born, Adam is 235 because Seth was 105 when Enosh was born. And at this moment, ere goes the shift of all things. Because what happened, it says, and at that time, 235 years from the moment Adam walked with God. Anybody remember the story when he sinned? When he sinned, God came out of the heavenly realm into the garden. Adam's hiding among the trees. And what happened when God showed up? Anybody remember the story? He steps on and says, Adam! Hey, Adam, where are you? Now, that is the most profound thing to think through because when Adam sinned, the presence of God came out of heaven and called his name. Adam, where is your presence? Because he was hiding from God among the trees. So look at it this way. He sins. He hides from the presence. God comes down and goes, Adam! Hey boy, where are you? You're hiding from my presence, but where are you? In other words, where's your presence? 
Now that's daddy. Now we're talking grandson. So we're two generations removed from daddy hearing God go, hey, where are you? And now this sounds romantic on a reading, but it's not romantic. It's just the opposite. At that time, Enish, was the, it first began to call on the Lord. Oh, it sounds romantic. There's nothing romantic about it. Because it says at the time people first, at that time, his birth, people first began to, wait, first began to call on God. I thought Adam and God had a thing going. I thought Adam and God were chit-chatty in the garden. This can't be the first time a human has ever worshipped or talked to God. But when you look at what's happening at the generation of Enish, what we have from Adam to Enish, with Adam we got, hey, where are you? Adam! And by the time we get to Enish, we have Enish going, hey God, where are you? Because to call means to cry for help. It's the Hebrew word karah, to summon, to invite, to encounter accidentally. And the Hebrew word that bears true to it is it means to be accosted. It means to do it angrily. So what we have by the grandson is we have God starting out going, hey, where are you? And by the time the grandson gets here, he's like, hey, has anybody seen God? Hey, God, where did you go? My daddy used to say you would come and talk to us. Where are you now? Where is your presence, God? Because he's crying for help. Oh, it wasn't Adam crying for help in the beginning. It was God crying out to Adam. But by the time we get to grandbaby, God's presence has been so far removed that they can't even find him anymore. And it intimates that he's not coming down to chit-chat with anybody either. They've so far removed themselves that they don't even encounter him. And if they do, it's by accident. Who are you? Oh, I'm God. I talked to you. You're who? And I have deduced that in 2023, most of God's people, no, many of God's people do not know his presence. They're just victims crying for help. Oh God, I just need you to help me. I need you to fix my marriage, bless my business, bless my health, help my husband, fix me. Why? Because when you don't have the presence of the Lord, there's no joy, there's no hope, there's no healing, there's no times of refreshing. It's why when Peter's preaching, he says, repent, that times of refreshing may come from his presence. Yes. So by the time we get to the grandchild, God is no longer crying for us. We're crying for him. He's no longer looking for us. We're trying to find him because his presence has been removed. And I present to you, this is much of Christianity today. Us begging God to help us. Us crying for help. If we do encounter it was by accident or Holy Spirit encounter. Definitely not in a church service. Don't have time for that. I have no time for it. And m most just, I'm mad anyway. I have a hostile attitude toward God. Where is he when I need him? He blessed them. I can't believe that guy won a billion dollars in the lotto. Doesn't God know if he gave me, I'd pay the church off. Well, I'm just mad. But it gets interesting because remember, what I want to give you is this fellow named Enoch. 
Here's my thinking of what's happening. Adam had the permissible, but no presence. And so, there goes the church today. We do a lot of permissible things, but I wonder if his presence is even in the room. Number two, Cain was successful, but he had no presence. Today we preach success and blessing and success and blessing, but just because you're successful and blessed doesn't mean you cater the presence of God. Seth had a purpose, and we definitely tell people, you need to know your purpose. You should have your purpose. You've been created for a purpose. But people know their purpose, and they know their gifts, and they know their enneagrams, and they know everything about them, but they don't cater the presence of God. And then we have Enish, very religious. He's calling on God, but nothing ever happens. There's no presence of God. It's just desperation and pity parties and... So before we even get to the grandchild, we start seeing a generation where the presence of God is missing in the equation of life. And that by the time we get to the days of Noah, we can see the moment the presence of God begins to be removed just in one, or one generation. And at this generation of Enosh, here, where are you, Adam? Here, where are you, God? And by the time we get to here, the generation is so perverted that God has to annihilate them. Because any group of people, no matter how wise we are, how smart we are, how brilliant we are, how famous we are, how successful we are, how rich we are, how much legacy we leave behind, if we don't have the presence of God, we're the most pitiful of people and we're perverted to the core. But this is the man I wanted to talk to you about from here to here. Because now it makes sense of why he got out of here. Here's what it says about Enoch. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. This is strange. Because it's one of those stop, it's one of those wait a minute, it's one of those grab you, hold on. You need to think this through, Mark. Don't go any further. Enoch walked. Does that sound familiar? The brother must have grabbed hold of something. Maybe there was something in him that said, wait a minute. I, I heard about a God that used to walk with us. I heard about a God who would talk with us. I want that God back. I want to walk with him like my great-grandfather walked with him. I want to hear his voice like he heard. And the Bible says, Enid walked faithfully with God and he was no more because God just took him. That in this moment of desperation where men had gotten away from the presence of God, there was a remnant of somebody going, no, he still talks, I want him to talk to me. He still walks, I want him to walk with me. There is nothing greater on this earth than just that I walk with him. You know why? Because he didn't get a city where he could name after his kid. We don't know how much money he had. We don't know if he was successful. We don't really know what he did. We just know he showed up and then he's gone. That's good. All because he just decided the greatest thing in life is to walk in the presence of God. Everything else is a moot point. It doesn't matter if the sermon is good or bad. Did the presence of God show up? It doesn't matter if a preacher makes me mad or happy. Did the presence of God show up? It doesn't matter if it was hot or cold in the room. Did the presence of God show up? And yet we're more carnal today, 
sad and mad, bitter and hurt, anxious, looking for the perfect place because we want to be successful rather than going, God, where is your presence? Because that's where I want to be. And I'm not trying to boast of this house because sometimes I wonder if God even showed up. But you better believe every Sunday morning coming down I-20 East, this old boy is praying, God, I need you to show up today. I need you to do something that's not me and it's you. And if you don't show up, I'll do my part. But whenever you show up, I will step out of the way and let you do whatever you need to do today. This is your house. These are your people. And I want to be alive to where I walk faithfully with you. I don't care if the sound is right or the sound is wrong or they play my song or they don't play my song or if I have a stomach ache or if I have a pudgy belly, I want your presence. And I just wait. Some days I feel like he shows up and I'm snot crying on the back row. Other days I go eat Mexican and go, well, I don't even know if he came today. But every day I wake up, this old boy is going to expect him to wake up with me. Could you imagine getting so close to God that he takes you? Oh, it doesn't even give us another scripture. And he was sad because he had to leave his dog and his wife and his boat and his children. And he was about to get retirement. Like it doesn't even allude that he was sad. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even give us, did, did he want to go? Like did Enoch say, hey, you think you could take me up there? I know you always come down here and chat with me, but dude, how about tomorrow? Why don't you just take me? You always, like this is what they told me. Adam said you would come talk. I appreciate it, but I'd kind of like to see where you live. And God's like, really? Yeah, like I want to see your house. All right, I'll be back tomorrow at noon. Be ready. Can you imagine what that must have been like? The God of heaven to come down and walk in. He looks over. He says, you ready? Oh, man, I've never been more ready ever. You told everybody bye because you're not going to see them for a while. Nothing matters more than you. Well, you know, they're going to cry and miss you. I know you're all that matters to me. You're, you're everything to me. You're more important than my wife and my children and my legacy and my, my house and my cars and my hobbies and my sports and my accolades and my dreams. You are all in all to me. I'm willing to just go. And what I see today is most Christians don't have that God. Because I would much rather him hold off so I can get my driver's permit. Hold off so I can have sex. Hold off so I can enjoy life. Hold off. I would rather his presence stay there and just let me be down here going, help me, help me, help me. Than having him be so close to me that I think there's nothing greater than just to step over. And when I step over, I will miss my child. I will miss my other child. But as I go in, I want them to say, that's everything daddy wanted. And God gave it to him. And then I'll look back and I'll go, hey, walk closely because he's coming to get you too. What could happen if fathers and mothers begin to give this kind of legacy? 
Dad and mom, the legacy that you just walk with God. It doesn't matter what you drive or where you work or what color your skin is or what you're fighting for socially down here on the earth. They know mom and dad walk with God. What greater legacy for me to die and not have a lot to give but a legacy that I walk with God. And when they bury me, they go, that old boy walked with God. Oh, he was weird. He was a little ADD, but he walked with God. Maybe this is why our generation sucks today. That was, that was rough. Because we're, we're all about the, the permissibles and all about the houses and all about the stuff and the sex and the family and the legacies. And the, but I don't hear many people at all crying out, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for his presence. You can't even get people to come pray. Hey, come out and pray. Two people show up. Because we don't expect anything. The word took. And I think this is so meaningful because it, it shows me God's heart of how he must have felt to watch Cain walk off and Adam be booted out of the garden. It says it means to lay hold of. It's the word lakach. I can't, it's Hebrew. I can't pronounce it. To lay hold of, to take in the hand, to carry along. It goes so deep to mean to marry and to take as a wife. That God is not just wanting another service. He's got plenty of those every Sunday. He's wanting to marry himself to you. When, it's, when it takes the word marry, it means he wants to wake up with you. Go to bed with you. Argue with you. Eat with you. Sleep with you. Commune with you. Have coffee with you. Go to the movie with you. Go on a date night with you. Everywhere you go, he goes. What happens when we live that way? I'll never forget, I was a teenager, 10th grade. I got my car. I had a girlfriend. I wasn't living godly. And my mother, Pentecostal, she believes this. She believes that God talks to her, which is weird. I didn't like that. It's so unfair. Because this is what she told me as I walked out the door. I guess she knew. I don't know if she knew. I was hiding from her. I was sneaky. I, was, I didn't want her to know I was having sex with my girlfriend and getting drunk with my friends. I, and even before I would go home, I'd eat a bunch of Doritos to get the cigarette smell off my breath so she wouldn't know. What I did not factor is I could fool her, but she had the presence of the Lord. My daddy had the presence of the Lord. And you can't trick the presence. She stood at the door that night, 111 Valley Road, and I'm going out kind of puffy. She said, honey. I said, yes. She said, I just want to tell you that wherever you go, the Holy Spirit goes with you. Take it. <laughs> Ruined my whole night. And then she taglined it. And he talks to me. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. And it's not like she's faking it. She knew things because God would talk to her. Robin and I have raised our children knowing things because God talks to us. Oh, what does it do when you're raised that God wants to marry you? He's not looking for... He's, God's not wanting to be your side chick. God's not some hooker that when you had a bad 
day, you want to go have an hour with him. He wants you to marry him. He wants to wake up with you, go to bed with you, go to lunch with you. And when your eyeballs see that hot chick walk by, he wants to go, no. He wants to marry you. And I present to you, we're living in a generation today that teaches and lives like God is their side chick and not a husband that has married himself to them. Living any way we want to live, asking him to bless us, living carnal and ungodly. And then we go, oh, the world's so evil. It's because there's no presence. So when you think days of Noah, back, back it up and ask what's been going on here. And the next time you turn on the TV and go, oh God, it's just such a wicked world. Ask what's going on in your personal life. Rather than whining about how wicked it is, ask, are you pursuing righteousness? Because if God's kids will pursue righteousness, what I last heard is when the righteous rule, the city rejoices. The devil, this is bad English, the devil ain't got nothing on that. What happened here that could cause God here to annihilate them? This is my thought for the day. Religious people have become successful, purposeful, and permissible, but they have no presence. I think if I was going to debate, I would debate that there's plenty of churches and plenty of religious people today, but we're lacking a hunger for His presence. We're in a hurry. We're busy. We're distracted. We're successful. We're entrepreneurial. We're having kids. We're paying bills. But do we have the presence of God? I present to you Perhaps this is what Jesus is thinking as he's standing among the Jewish people going, here I am. God back in the flesh calling for you. And they rejected him. Maybe his thinking was, before I come back, God will be calling, but people will be rejecting him. Bow your heads, if you will. I'm going to ask the band to come as we prepare our heart for communion. I by no means, as a pastor of this house, think I got it all together. I I try to tell you as well that I'm a human and I have my struggles and my faith walk like you. But there's no greater prayer you can pray than, God, I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I will tell you today that I've learned as a husband and a father and as an individual, there's no greater way to think about God than are you married to him or is he a side chick to you? And by that, I mean, it's like my mother taught me, do you genuinely believe that he goes with you everywhere you go? That he wants to have input into how you think, how you talk, how you walk, how you move. Even down to what you watch, what you listen to. He wants to be involved with you. 
And when he's that way, the victim mentality leaves and you realize you're not a victim, you're a son and a daughter. You realize you're not an orphan, you're his child. Because you commune with him. You talk with him. You walk with him. Would you stand up with me if you will?